You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate and they just have too many levers and buttons? There's got to be a better way. Now there is with Good Job Brain, an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun. I just learned that artificial vanilla flavoring sometimes comes from the anal glands of a beaver, and now I can never shake that mental image. Thanks, Good Job Brain. Good Job Brain is available for the low price of just four easy payments of free. It's a podcast. Good Job Brain is part of Airwave Media and available on all podcast apps. Operators are standing by. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. No soy un árbol, un hombre desnudo, un soldado verde, un niño, es el elegido. ¡Cadena, chaval, tú estás loco! ¡Estoy hasta los cojones de la pensión compensatoria, de los jueces y de la bruja de su madre! ¡Aparte, señora! ¡Abre, puta! Silvia, perdona. A ver, te pregunto yo lo que le das de merendar al niño... ¡Hostia puta! ¡No la toques! ¡Oye, que se estuvo peor, joder! La brujería, el concepto nació a ti. ¡Hola, chaval! ¿Qué hace con la escoba? Barrer no, desde luego. Pero ellas nunca piensan lo que parece que piensan. ¿Y en qué piensan? No lo sé, pero piensan otra cosa. ¿Nosotras qué somos? Una chica de tu edad lo que tiene que hacer es drogarse. Folla como una perra, miente todo lo que puedas engañar a los hombres que estás en la edad. Ha llegado el momento de la venganza. ¿A dónde vais? A impedir que tu madre destruya la civilización occidental. ¿Te parece bien? ¡Ayuda! ¡Y hará justicia! ¡Justicia! ¿Lo que dices? ¡Tú eres idiota! ¿Que me dejo llevar? A mí las brujas no me dan miedo. A mí lo que me dan miedo son los hijos de puta. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Mr. Andrew Leovold. Hey, great to be here, Mike. Thank you for actually allowing me back. <laughs> I don't know if I'm blessed or cursed. And also joining us in the booth for the first time is Ms. Elena Romea. Hola, hola. October 2021 continues with a look at Alex de la Iglesia's 2013 film, Witching and Bitching. And I will say right up front that I fucking hate that title. I, <laughs> though I don't think I can easily pronounce the original, La Brujas de Zara. Can I help you? Yes, please. Las Brujas de Zugarramurri. 
but it's a much better title. Anyway, it's the story of two men who rob a gold rebuyer along with one of the men's sons. They're on the run with the taxi driver they hijack and his passenger. On the run from the cops, they cross paths with a trio of witches in the spooky village of Turaramurri. We will be ruining witching and bitching as we go along, so if you don't want anything ruined, turn off the podcast and come back. We will still be here. So, Andrew, when was the first time you saw witching and bitching, and what did you think, sir? I would have seen it very soon after the film was released because I have to make a, a caveat at the start of this. I mean, I'm a massive Alex de la Iglesia fan. Ever since I saw El Dia de la Bestia at the movies in Australia, which is another small miracle because we don't get that many Spanish films on the big screen, I went bananas. And between that film and um, his first feature, Agion Mutante, that basically sealed the deal. That first film used to play on SBS, our, our foreign broadcast channel. I would periodically just check in every year to 18 months and see what Alex has been doing. And it's kind of like hanging out with an old friend, you know, meeting up in a bar, swapping stories and catching up with the films you really dug. And even though I've never met the guy, it's very much like hanging out with an old friend every time a new film of his comes out. So I would have seen that. And in fact, preparing for today, I decided to go back and watch every De La Iglesia feature in chronological order. I just finished this afternoon. And man, I've got a very, very clear idea of where this film sits now in um, Alex's filmography you know, how it stacks up. And I'm very happy to say top five De La Iglesia films out of 16. Pretty damn good because <laughs> there's uh, some incredible competition in there. And Elena, how about yourself? I watched this film for the first time at the theaters because normally I, I like uh, watching, I like to watch uh, Alex De La Iglesia's films on, at the cinema. It's not one of my favorite films, but I quite like it. But I will tell you later things about it that I don't like at all. Okay, I think it's a kind of return to the roots that, you know, to the cinema of the Day of the Beast, for example, because they have some things in common, but with new things. And also it's, um, this movie reflects perfectly the vital situation Alice de la Iglesia was experiencing because... Alice de la Iglesia got divorced because while he was making the, the TV show, uh, Pluton Verbenero, awful one, don't, <laughs> don't watch it, uh, he met uh, Carolina Bang, that's the one of the main stars of, of this movie, and he fell in love and divorced his wife, and they got two, two daughters. Scandal. No, not so much, because Alice de la Iglesia normally is not in, you know, the gossipy magazines or, or those kind of things. But the thing is that uh, they did another movie before this that in Spanish is called Balada Triste de Trompeta. I don't remember the name in English, sorry. They called it Last Circus in Australia. Is it Sad Ballad of the Trumpet? Something like that. It's because of the name of a song that is played in, inside the movie. When he wrote the movie... He was in the middle of the divorce, fighting for the custody of the daughters, because it's like a kind of obsession during the film. 
he got a lot of jokes, you know, the Spanish sense of humor. But in this case, I find it not so proper, a kind of chauvinist sense of humor because of this vital moment. But I, I rewatched it like three or four times and I think it's a good movie. That's for introduction. Later, I will talk more because I'm very talkative. I'm very sorry. Just cut me down. <laughs> this was a first time view for me. I have not seen as many De la Iglesia films as I would like. I, like you, I saw El Dia de la Bestia as my first one and I absolutely loved it. I really can't get enough of that film. I even rewatched it for preparation for this. I didn't go back and watch every single one of his films. I've had a lot of his films collected over the years, and I just haven't watched them. I don't know why. Um, Is that an unusual thing to do? <laughs> what, to collect films and not watch them? No, no, to go and rewatch every person's film in chronological order? No, no, that's, that's a, a wonderful thing to do. I, I wish I had the time to do it. In my defense, I also watched every Carry On film chronologically, and that's 30 films. So, I don't know. I just hope you didn't watch those for this episode. We're not talking about... I've been reading up a lot of, uh, on De La Iglesia. There seems to be a, a common theme of urban versus rural, and I know with De La Bestia, it starts more rural and moves more urban, the big bad city, versus this one starts in the city and then moves out to the rural stuff. And... My God, the beginning of this film just grabs you and shakes you and says, this is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know if it maintains that level of excitement throughout the entire thing, but this opening robbery scene that they have is so fun. And just to see all of these characters, like, I'm not familiar with Madrid. I'm more familiar with Barcelona. It's like you say that we're going to go to Spain, but have I ever been to Barcelona? Barcelona. Oh. And not yet, but we're going. Porque esto, bravo. Only Barcelona y fantástico. No, we are not going to Barcelona, okay? We have discussed going to Barcelona, but we are never going to go to Barcelona. Not with an attitude like that. We're oh, not. God. But it feels very similar as far as La, La Rambla and all of these characters that are there and people, you know, like the human statues and all these kind of things. And you've got very much the same thing with this, having our main character dressed up all in silver as Jesus Christ with this little cell phone in his <laughs> right by his junk. I love it. I find the opening of this probably the first 10 minutes of it to just be such a thrill ride and so fun. And just the interaction once they get into this guy's taxi, I love all that stuff that's going on, though I have to admit, I feel that it kind of peters out after that and never really gets back up to that level. The place where the movie starts with the robbery and so is just where, if you remember the Day of the Beast, there is a scene in which we, we have the three wise men, that is, we don't have Santa Claus, we have the three wise men. Uh, you know, when the three wise men are asking for the kids with the one for Christmas, etc., and the shooting starts, is one minute away from uh, Puerta del Sol Square, that's where this movie starts. Also, another movie, Vialles de la Iglesia, that is Crimen Perfecto. Perfect crime. Thank you. This movie uh, was recorded in a Walmart that is just near the three wise men and uh, the beginning of, of this movie. I know because I was there and I was asked to be an extra of the movie. <laughs> oh my God, you're a star! <laughs> no, I was not an extra because I was in a hurry, but it was like great. Oh, you could have been. The Sol Square. 
goes up a street, you go to the Three Wise Men and the Walmart, and up there is the Schweppes building, where, you know, in the day of the, the beast, the man is hanging. Everything is in just one street. I have to tell you that the part of the city, Madrid, is always crowded, is so busy, that if the robbery has actually taken place, they couldn't move the taxi. But it's great, it's great with all the figures, the crease, the Bob Spons and that. I did really appreciate that Patrick Starr is hovering over the shot-up body of SpongeBob. I was very glad for that. The first time I watched this, I didn't really pick up on the whole thing of the very, very opening scene, which is the three witches together, and they're talking about a prophecy, and they are talking about a chosen one and gold, and they start to talk about a yellow sponge and a taxi, and I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And then finally, when I rewatched it the second time, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes total sense what they're talking about here. All makes sense on the rewatch. In fact, a lot of it makes sense on the rewatch, because the film is very much like a headlong car plowing into a crowd of pedestrians, you know, (laughs) bodies flying everywhere and, and just utter chaos. Chaos being one of the uh, key words to describe Alex de la Iglesia's cinema. That Spain is chaos in general. So <laughs> That's why I feel very much at home there, I'm sure. <laughs> but you're right, Elena, as far as the chauvinism, not necessarily misogyny, I would say, but yeah, definitely the whole theme of our main character he is going uh, has gone through a divorce and is fighting for custody of his child and that's why he had his child with him at the robbery and i really like that interaction in the taxi when they're going back and forth and uh, that you don't notice at first that there's the extra passenger in the taxi <laughs> I really like that reveal is great. The way that the taxi driver kind of comes around to their side, but really their side is very much women are evil and why are they taking away our power? And really that's the whole theme of this movie is this whole masculine versus feminine and women trying to take away men's power. And the more men, the better they end up. There's two cops that get involved in this. There's the ex-wife that gets involved in this. Of course she moves over to the side of the witches, whereas the cops are right there with the taxi driver and the soldier character. Um, and they're all just wearing these big dunce hats at one point and uh, crucified in front of the big fire, waiting for a giant woman to come in and dispatch them all. Yes. That's actually very funny that the, I didn't remember that there was an extra man uh, inside the taxi. So when I rewatched it, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and that poor guy just gets abused. Well, he ends up body parts, basically. His dinner, from my perspective, I thought that uh, that whole interaction between the guys ragging on women relentlessly, I thought it was a lot more satiric than you obviously did, armed with the knowledge that Della Iglesia was probably not very happy with women at the time. But, uh, I mean, it harks back to the credit sequence and and re-watching Alex's films, you realise that the credit sequences are basically centerpiece. He borrows a lot from Hitchcock. One thing that he got from Saul Bass was the the beauty of a great credit sequence. Witching and Bitchings is absolutely fantastic. And in there, you've got images of strong women throughout history. And those strong women include Myra Hindley, the British serial killer, juxtaposed with Angela Merkel. <laughs> you know, that's just... a 
hilarious. I, I mean, I, I could just rewatch all the films just for the credit sequences. If you have watched that you should have because you have rewatched them all, you, you must remember that at the beginning of Balada Triste, the trompeta, at the beginning, uh, what we have is a lot of actors and actresses from Spanish horror. At the beginning, you don't know why, but as the movie is going on, you say, ah, come on, that's why we have that at the beginning. And if I remember well, at the Day of the Beast, also there are devils on the, on the credits. And, and so, so it's, it's funny that you say that. I remember Margaret Thatcher was also on the credits and it was like, what? Yep. Margaret Thatcher and, um, oh, who else was it? Oh, it's Frida Kahlo. There were Frida Betty Kahlo Davis. And Margaret Thatcher, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Betty Davis was in there. Marlena Dietrich. One of the most frustrating things for uh, an Australian viewer is missing out on so many of the pop culture and, and historical and social references that uh, that are in all of Alex's films. Watching something like the the uh, opening credits of Ballad of a Sad Trumpet means that I'm, I'm like, who's that guy? Who, who are these people? And uh, all of the references in um, Dying of Laughter, the one where the two comedians are, are trying to kill each other, they're always referencing comedians from Spain's past. I'm like, who are these people? I'm... No, they they are in comedians exactly. One of them is Paul Nassi, that is the Spanish werewolf, you know, the one who made the werewolf Spanish movies. And while the people are laughing the hardest, uh, what you have is all the companies and all the government, the states, etc., that has given money to the to the movie, so it's like making fun of the producers. <laughs> oh man, this is the stuff that we're missing out on, you know. Sometimes when I watch, when I was watching this movie, I was thinking about you too, <laughs> because there are a lot of cultural references that are really funny that appear on the film that I know you don't understand because there are things that I grew up with. Uh, but you don't know, because later when we talk about the bar in the middle, you know, of the road, uh, what is on television for us is hilarious. So like the old videotapes of the show the that they video- keep watching. Yeah, they're very, very important. I've got a feeling that um, the reason why a lot of Alex's films don't travel is because of the very parochial nature of um, a lot of the humor. And because humor is a very important element of his work and those cultural references are, you know, a massive part of his satire and his comedy, we only get to see the horror films or the outright action films. The comedies like uh, Muertos de Risa, which is one of my favorite Alex films, and uh, even something like Migran Noche, which is talking about, you know, Spain's television past i'm sitting there going i'm sure this means a lot more to spanish audiences than myself right migran noche is not about television past migran noche is about television present because on new year's eve we still have those kinds of tv shows on tv but muertos risa is a parody about an specific comedian duo that was here in spain so 
It's full of references and it's one of my favorite as well. So they are difficult to, to understand, I think, for, for people who are not from, from Spain. And the Day of the Beast is full of Madrid jokes and Madrid things that maybe even it's more complicated. I mean, what translates the best without knowing the uh, what's going on with the, the actual Spanish culture is more the slapstick stuff. I mean, that stuff we can get no problem. People being hit, people falling, uh, people you know, arguing with each other, uh, the, the old lady getting hit in the middle of the road, <laughs> all those kind of things definitely translate. But yeah, all of this stuff around it is fascinating to me. And I'm so glad that you're here, Elena, to help explain some of this stuff because I, I mean, even the, the, title the real title of the film i had to do some digging around to find out like oh that's where all of these witches were burned at okay that makes sense why it is set in the city where it's set or set in the village where it's set spain is divided in three different parts the the one you know the best is the south that is the flamenco one you know the very religious one then we have castilla castilla is where i live that's where madrid is that's you know, it's religious as well, but we are very modern, very urban and, and so, and we have some specific things. But in the north of Spain, we have a lot of Celtic traditions and also all the legends about witches that are very similar to the ones in the north of, of Europe. So they are totally different. Um, I'm not very familiar with the Tugaramurdi witches story because it's not my place. But it is true that something I heard before. It's not new for me, you know. But it's the complexity of the legends here because we are very different inside the country. But, but you would have heard the legend of the the black he goat that uh, they would they would uh, take out of the field and bring along to the caves where the witches would hold their sabbats, and the black he goat would turn into either a man or the devil himself. I took a little virtual walking tour of the village on YouTube. You can actually do a 20-minute walk around the, the village. And there's a museum there totally dedicated to the witchcraft legends of the of the village. And I just can't wait for the borders to reopen uh, so I can just head back to Spain and go and hang out with the with the with the witches of um, northern Spain. This is this is going to be my new favorite place. I think after Almeria, of course. We have everything. Spain is totally different. <laughs> well, the one thing that you guys don't have, which I I like that Sergio, the child, is uh, he's been promised that they can go and live at uh, Paris Disney <laughs> after the robbery. <laughs> And I love how the soldier character is like, oh, we have to go south so we can escape to Mexico. One of my favorite things in films, and this probably makes me a bad person, but uh, I really love children in peril. And this has kids in peril in spades. I mean, you know, starting off with a robbery, but then having the kid end up in an oven surrounded by onions and then passing through the anus of a fertility goddess. <laughs> Yes, that, that part was surprising because if I remember well, normally Alice de la Iglesia never works with children. They are not part of, you know, his characters. Probably heard what happened to his first marriage. He got two daughters with his first wife and now Carolina Van 
and Alex de la Iglesia, I think they have two other two daughters also. So it's like, you know, a big family. <laughs> Carolina's in the films, the kids will probably end up in, you know, the sequel to 30 Coins. Who knows? Uh, Carolina is uh, the producer. She's the one behind the production. They now have made a production company that's going to produce some movies. Uh, now they are going to present the first one at Sitges Festival. She's an interesting woman. First of all, the Iglesia's wife also was producer, was writer, was behind. But in the case of Carolina Van, she's more present in the, in the work. So she's being criticized. Because, you know, when you, okay, I'm going to say it, but, you know, ironically, uh, still a husband, <laughs> they are going to, to be criticized, but, you know, the marriage was broken. And now the general comment is that since he has been with Carolina Bank, his movies are awful. So they are no worse because Carolina Bank changed his mind. Or, or whatever. So that's the that's the feeling. And is the the truth is that um, he's producing things that are not so so good. But I think his movies, his TV shows, etc., are acceptable. Well, I honestly believe that uh, some of his least interesting films have been produced in the last eleven years, but also some of the best. I also believe that Carolina Bang is a very striking presence in the four films that she appears in, um, starting with Balada Triste de Trompeta, playing the acrobat, obviously Las Brujas, and Mi Gran Noche. I mean, these are just incredible performances, and she's very different in each one. But uh, a very, very striking presence, and and, uh, I would say equal with Blanca Suarez, who is another one of those very formidable female presences in the films from the last 11 years. Well, Blanca Suarez is one of the most famous actresses here in Spain. She's the it girl, the influencer. She got a, a kind of romance with Mario Casas that is still in the movie because Mario Casas is the most famous, the most handsome for every woman in Spain. And Hugo Silva was... First, in the past, it was Hugo Silva. Wow, the hottest, whatever. And then Mario Casas. And it's very funny that they are together in the, in the movie and fighting for a woman. You see, that's a little joke that is in the movie that you cannot understand if you are not from here. But it's very funny to see them because it's like Mario Casas, the... They got uh, Hugo Silva's positions and all those kind of things. And and, it's, it's... and I think Alex is really making fun of that in Mi Gran Noche, having him with the long blonde hair being this sex god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mario Casas is sex god today in Spain. You know, you're better than Hello Magazine. That's a little bit about Carolina Bang, but then there's also, uh, she's the the youngest of the witches and then there's the two older generations the mother and the grandmother and i love both of the actresses that are playing the mother and the grandmother carmen maura and is it terere pavez 
they are just wonderful. And especially Terele Pavas when she puts in those metal teeth that we see on the poster and the DVD cover and starts chomping on one of their arms. She is delightful. And I, Carmen Mara, she's just always so captivating. I've loved her ever since I started to see her. I think she was in a lot of uh, Moldovar films, right? Yeah, Carmen Maura, she was one was in the past one of Almodovar's muse, favorite women. And I think she's a, a great actress. Uh, she has done a lot of different movies, a lot of uh, plays for the theater. She's awesome. I don't know how to describe her. And and the the role she does here is is great because at the beginning it's like I am a full woman. <laughs> I cannot walk. And then it's like, wow. <laughs> so she's great. Um, also, the intonation she has talking in, in Spanish uh, is the way posh, important women talk. And Terele Pave, who passed away some little time ago, I think was is one of my favorite actors ever. He was in movies from the 50s, from the 60s. She was a very brave woman because she was a single mother during Franco times and being an actress, so kind of crazy. And she received a Goya Award, that is the most important award in our cinema, uh, for the movie Migrant Noche. And it was the first time that woman got an award. And she was crying. With The, the son was like, oh, my mother. And it was very, very moving. And I think Alice de la Iglesia wanted her to be recognized as uh, a great actress because also she has like a, I don't know, it's the typical old woman from the north of Spain, you know, that they look like witches. <laughs> She's a total ball breaker in every film. I mean, I, I think I counted about 10 Alex films that she plays the crusty old lady in. So if we're talking about the three generations of uh, Alex superstars playing the three generations of Las Brujas, then um, Terele Pavez is, you know, just by far the star of the film, which I, I think is why Carmen Maura is a little bit further down in the credits. She knew that she was playing second fiddle to her mother, <laughs> you know, to the matriarch of the De La Iglesia film universe. And it was very sad to see her go. Her voice is amazing because in real life, she was a, a very sweet woman. But in all the movies, she's like, your food, your drink, what did you want? And I, 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 love, I, I love her. And I think in this movie, especially, she does a, a, a great part. And the fourth major female character is Macarena Gomez as Silvia, the uh, ex-wife of uh, uh, Jose, uh, the Hugo Silva character. And I really like her, um, though she throws in very quickly with the witches. <laughs> very, very quickly. She turns, too quickly, she, I think. Yeah, <laughs> she goes over too quickly, just like how Carolina Bang goes over to the men's side way too quickly. It's like, whoa, what happened here? You're ready to eat these guys. Is it just because they were super sexy or what? But yeah, she throws over with the men. I'm like, oh, okay, is this a trick? Nope, nope. She just moves over. This is a cartoon. I mean, you know, Alex is, is, is quoted in the press as saying that he made this film deliberately 
in the style of his earlier films, his dumb films, his mean films, you know, and this is, this is a cartoon and, and critics who dissect the film and, and say that there's no second act or that there's no real character development. They're kind of missing the point that this is, this is like a throwback to From Dust Till Dawn or this is Peter Jackson's Brain Dead slash Dead Alive or whatever you want to call it. Um, th- th- this is just a, a mean-spirited cartoon and pure genre or, or a genre splicing, but, but splicing very dumb genres. <laughs> There's nothing cerebral about this other than, you know, a little uh, offhanded commentary about the Battle of the Sexes. Well, Macarena Gomez, uh, I'm not a big fan of her as an actress because she always does the same part, that is the schizo lady. She became very famous on a TV show. I, I haven't seen that. It's a comedy, but she, she does that. Like the crazy wife, the mad wife, some kind of things. Uh, and all the movies she has done, well, apart from Dagon, you know, Dagon, it's the Fantastic Factory movie. The Stuart Gordon, I think. Uh, Stuart Gordon, <laughs> I don't know. it was the Cthulhu adaptation and a really good one too. Apart from that one, he, he, she always plays that role, also in 30 Coins, etc. And we don't expect her to be, you know, a thoughtful person. No, she's going to take part and is going, it's getting crazy and going against men for sure. <laughs> I agree with you, Andrew. This is very much a cartoon. I mean, down th- it reminds me a lot of a Scooby-Doo cartoon at times, especially when they get to that village and things the are all... House. Yeah, exactly. there's haunt- haunted houses when they get into the bar and there's the guy that lives under the toilet and you see just the eyeball staring up out of the toilet or the hand reaching up out of the toilet. I'm just like, okay, I can see Shaggy just going in there to take a leak and freaking out. Sweet. I, I tell you what, if I was watching a Scooby-Doo cartoon as a child and I saw that fertility goddess coming to the fray, I would have been shitting myself for a month. They might have had to have hidden the pendulous boobies that it has, though. Uh, but it's quite funny because after seeing, you know, because this the actress Maria Maria Barranco, that's the one talking, you know, with the machine, with the tool in, in the throat. Uh, that actually she was a, a very famous actress in the in the 80s that she played crazy women roles and and so so when she appears with the hand and with the with the foot <laughs> so and after you go to the to, to the loo and look down and you see the eyes and it's like come on. it's one of my favorite moments <laughs> I love the bartender. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Is it Enrique Villian? The him oh, with the, the, with the, the crazy eye. eye. Yes, I love it. Right, <laughs> man. He's he's another one of Alex's go-to guys. You want someone who looks a little shifty? Hello, Enrique. <laughs> Between him and the guy that actually lives under the toilet, I mean, both of those guys just have the craziest looks. I love it. The one who lives under the toilet is Javier Botet, that is the creature in, in Rec. And also he, he, he's in the Stephen King's Eat. Yes, because he has a kind of illness. That's why he's so, you know, the, the limbs are so long and the, the shape of the head, etc. So, so that wasn't special effects. No, 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 it's not a special effects. 
he he oh has that that body. So he became famous with with Rec, and after that uh, he was called for several movies. And he's working in the he has worked in the United States for you know for Stephen King's It and for the movies I don't remember now. He's not a very good actor, as as we can see during the movie. Okay, but you know the body. The body is very, very, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Um, and that's, you know, very scary for me. <laughs> you know, if we're talking about Alex regulars, there's two guys who play witches in drag. The ladies. And we're talking <laughs> Santiago Segura, who yeah. is another one of Alex's go-to guys. He he was in Day of the Beast as the... The metalhead. The metalhead. Yeah, he's so good. And uh, you would have seen him in probably every Alex film that you've watched. Um, he was also in a comedy series called uh, Torrente, playing a sexist, racist cop. He became famous because of the series, that saga. I don't like it at all. <laughs> but he's like, you know, like a. Yeah. It's like a celebrity in in Spain, and I think it's a uh, one of uh, Alex de la Iglesia's best friends because they are always together, you know, in the movies and and so. He's started to become a regular for Guillermo del Toro as well. I see him show up in like Blade Two, and he's one of uh, Hannibal Chow's men in Pacific Rim. He's got these great sunglasses, and as soon as he showed up, I was like, "I know, I know that guy. Where do I know him from?" And I had to look him up. And when I realized he was in, the, he was that metalhead. Yeah, he is so good in Day of the Beast. I love his character, and that that's the biggest loss for me. Spoilers for Day of the Beast, but that he. He dies and doesn't get to come back. I was always so sad about that. He became famous with that movie, by the I way. I believe it. But him as one of the two comedians in, you know, Muertos de Risa, that's probably my favorite where he he's constantly getting slapped by his mean counterpart. The the, the whole basis of his comedy act is being slapped. Uh, and, the, and the socks. And so it, <laughs> it's, it's just so sociopathic. <laughs> But then, then the the other guy um, in drag is um, an actor called uh, Carlos, Carlos Areces, and he was the lead. He was the sad clown in the Last Circus. He's a sort of chubby-looking, sad-looking guy. Not very sad in this one. He's quite happily chowing down onto uh, into body parts. But he was he was um, a lead in uh, the Last Circus along with Antonio de la Torre. And um, having these guys, these are these are key figures in the the Alex universe, and it's just kind of nice that they just kind of appear in women's clothing almost as a throwaway, but it's it's still just nice to have them along, you know, even in a even in a small part and and in high heels. Yeah, I I love it. I did I didn't remember as well that they were in the movie and they were you know <laughs> like trans. <laughs> And let me tell you, to give you a little background, that Carlos Areces, before becoming an actor, he became an actor with La, The Last Circus. He was uh, in the world of comics. He was a, a comics writer and painter. And so he got a lot of different books and publications with the, a similar uh, sense of humor to the one in Alex de la Iglesia's 
comics because the Alice de la Iglesia sex of humor is very similar to the one that we have here in, in general okay so he decided to become an actor because he didn't get money to to live with the comics so the first appearance was in in Alex de la Iglesia's movie The Last Circus uh, but I, I think he's great as an actor absolutely brilliant and and the side of him running around Madrid, dressed as a clown, shooting two submachine guns. It's a work of art. And I mean, it's it, that's an interesting film as well, because that one is really maybe not the, the first, but it's the most self-conscious uh, attempt to court the art house market, the, the festival circuit. And then he follows the film up with La Chispa de la Vida, which is a very straight, almost mainstream film. And then you have Witching and Bitching as the third film, which is an out-and-out genre film. So I think these are the three flavors of Alex. You know, the 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 festival, the mainstream, and then the the genre, the midnight movie crowd. You know, the tiff mid, midnight madness crowd pleasers. In the case of La Chispa de la Vida, it's here, it was mainstream, because the main character, that is Jose Mota, is one of the most famous comedians in in Spain. He has a prime time a TV series made of sketch, um, you know, on Spanish television, on the state television. So everybody knows that guy and everybody likes uh, the kind of things. But I, I don't get the movie. I didn't like it at all. That one is, one, I think, is my least favorite <laughs> movie by that's Alex. In my bottom, that's in my bottom five. In the case of Last Circus, it's also a kind of comedy, but it's a very serious movie, as it is set in a time, in Franco times, and it's quite complex, politically, politically speaking. I believe that, yeah. And, and bleakly funny. It's so dark. That's the moment in which uh, Carlos Areces thinks the other guy, Antonio de la Torre, is beating Carolina Bank, you know, and abusing her, but uh, actually they are fucking. And he's just hiding behind and saying, ah, don't, don't do it, don't hurt her, don't hurt her. But they are fucking. And you are laughing or something that is related to abuse. <laughs> So it's like, eh. When they get to the village and they go in, uh, our main characters go in and uh, they meet some of these crazy characters. I am curious about that ventriloquist on the TV. You said that that's got some significance. First, they are watching something about uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. That (laughs) has no sense. But second, what they are playing, you know, the man with the puppet, you know, that is a raven. Um, okay, that man is uh, was the producer of all the programs like Migrant Noche that not only happened on New Year's Eve but also uh, on uh, Saturday night on the Spanish state television. But that and that guy uh, got three different puppets. One is the Raven, other was a kid, another was an old lady. The thing is that this was not very funny, but he got a lot of a, a lot of money. <laughs> and but he was the producer of mainly 
80% of TV shows in Spain, the ones with Macarena Gomez, the ones with with all these actors, actresses, etc. Nowadays, uh, he is in jail because of money things, <laughs> you know, because of, you know, the money havens, uh, those kind. Ah, and also something related to drug dealing, etc. You know, he got a lot of money, and maybe even even child abuse. But uh, when I watched him on TV, it was like, oh my god! And what the Raven is saying is saying, "Toma Moreno" is something that is nowadays is in um in our everyday language. You know, "Toma Moreno" is like <laughs> it's like, for example, you know. This TV show that is called Stories to Keep You Awake by Chichi Banias Serrador, you know, the director of Who Can Kill a Child. And okay, he got a TV show that's called, well, in Spanish, it's called Historias para no dormir, that's stories not to, to make you, uh, to keep you awake. Okay. Yeah, Alex did one of those, I believe. Yeah, it, yes, in the remake, he did uh, one of his. And it's very funny because we have some some expressions in the Spanish language, like this one, Historia no dormir, Toma Moreno, that we took from television. And we took several ones from the TV show of the Raven with the puppet. <laughs> so watching the tapes there, it was like, come on, this is something I, I, only a Spaniard can understand. Because it's here. But this is a bit one of the best things in the movie to, to see Jose Luis Moreno, that's the name of the guy. <laughs> They're like, why? So it's so subversive. Yeah. And cheeky. <laughs> yeah. And also those images may have rights from the Spanish state television. So it should have been difficult to include them in the movie. That guy should have kept his hand in the puppet by the sound of it. What can you tell us about the two cops that are after them? Because there's the whole subplot of the cops and then the ex-wife and that she's basically leading them to the robbers. Well, the main guy, Pepon Nieto. And the other one is Secund de la Rosa. Secund de la Rosa is also a Spanish director for queer cinema. And he was also on TV for playing a gay in a TV show. Um, Pepon Nieto is very famous also from, from TV. They are in these different roles, and I love them. I, they are very special. Well, both of them are great actors. In because, for example, Pepe Nieto has done a lot of uh, drama uh, that, that that are marvelous, uh, and Sekun is you know amazing. <laughs> and when they are fighting, I say, "Da, do this, do that." What I say? Okay, I stop and you drive, but but we are not. Chasing that, <laughs> that moment is amazing. I would say, I have to confess something when they are on the cross. <laughs> okay, it's they, they, uh, for me, uh, secondary characters, but amazing. Well, they're, they're also Alex regulars as well. I mean, Pepon ended up playing in Migran Noche as the ordinary extra who falls in love with Blanca Suarez. He was in the, the most recent one, Perfectos Desconocidos. Yeah, that's uh, es Perfectos Desconocidos. That is a remake from from a, a French movie. Okay, but... Yeah, yeah. So, so. <laughs> he was great in it, though. Yeah. Pepon is a very 
he's got that hang dog look about him. You know, he's the the quintessential loser, but he's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. He's the 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 nobody. You know that he celebrates in Migran Noche. That one, my my favorite actors in Migran Noche, together with Terele Pavez and the Cross. Oh yes, of course, and that's Terella again with the crucifix, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she gets to share the the helicopter at the end with um, Alfonso, played by Raphael, who sang "Ballad of the Sad Trumpet." Yeah, yes, because uh, well, Raphael, that is the the singer, is like an icon here in in Spain. He was in all those kind of problem uh, programs. Sorry. And in all the gossiping shows, and but it's very very big here in Spain and in South America. And wow, Mi Gran Noche is a song that I can sing without hesitation. Que pasada, que See, watching that the first time, I didn't get any of that. Watching it the second time with the help of YouTube, I'm like, that is genius casting. Raphael as Alfonso and basing the entire film basically around that one joke is a stroke stroke of genius. That's why that film's in my top five, Alex. So, Elena, you said that you didn't necessarily care for Witching and Bitching, and I'm curious what your take on it is. I don't like this kind of, um, you know, how can I say, acid humor, acid sense of hatred behind jokes on women. Because apart from, you know, men talk and so, well, actually, women are portrayed in four or five different kinds. First, the divorced wife who who is obsessed with the husband and wants to, you know, fuck him till the end, <laughs> uh, getting the boy, okay, son, the, the children in general. Then a um, very, you know, beautiful well, there are actually two very hot women in the movie. One is Marios Casas' uh, girlfriend, and second is Carolina Bank's character. And in the presence of that, uh, of this, of both women, men cannot behave, cannot make love because they feel, you know, you know, underestimated or or whatever. The rest are just witches, hysterical women, you know. So that portrait i didn't like it at all do you think it's um no coincidence that the film was written by two men no because they have worked together uh, alice de la iglesia and guerrica echevarria that man has has worked in the, he's the writer a professional writer of course and he was also behind the oxford martyrs if i remember well um, a movie that is about jails in Spain that is called Celda 211. I don't know if you are familiar with that. El Niño, that is a kinky movie. And uh, it doesn't have those kind of jokes. I think this is something from, from Alex de la Iglesia because he has those kind of jokes, not referring to women, but in general, in Muertos de Risa, that is also no very politically correct movie. But in this case, I I have a sense of, you know, of hatred be, behind. So that's why I didn't like it so much, because some of the jokes, as they say, yes, it's a direct, direct attack uh, to, against women. Because in the moment, for example, in which Carolina Bank is following Hugo Silva, 
because uh, she's trying to save him after everything happens. And she says, ah, but I'm saving you, etc. And she says, and what hap- what's happening with the other thing? Ah, so you prefer to be with your friends than with me. And they have a strange kind of conversation and she becomes like hysterical. And he says something like, you don't have to behave like that just because, and I think this is a direct attack, uh, a kind of, I don't know, a portrait of the behavior of a woman that's, (laughs) it's not very accurate and go and has something behind. That's why I didn't like so much. It's true that in Spain, uh, this movie got a lot of, was criticized because of all these jokes against mm, women. That's why I started this podcast explaining the, the living situation <laughs> or the marital situation he was uh, going through. It's like uh, Zulowski's possession. <laughs> like you can really really exactly. feel the divorce going on in possession and yeah i can kind of feel it here too with all this and yeah that argument of you'd rather be with your friends than be with me i've heard that argument between men and women before and it just yeah it drives me crazy and yeah makes really pains women to be so possessive and yeah completely outrageous but aside from the overt misogyny I mean, apart from that, it's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. It definitely makes me appreciate frogs a lot more. That scene of her dousing herself with frog juice was uh, pretty intense. I don't know if, uh, I don't know there, Australia or the United States, but in Spain and in France, eating the frog legs is something that is very luxurious. I think outside of France, it's like a joke that you would go to a French restaurant and order frog's legs. I don't think we would ever, we would ever actually stick them. We would, Australians would never stick them in our mouths. We'd probably lick them uh, for their psychotropic qualities, but definitely not consume them. (laughs) There are snails on her plate. I was very surprised when you mentioned earlier, Andrew, the fertility goddess. And I was very surprised when that ends up being i mean even though we've seen the fertility goddess in the opening credits but that that is what the big bad of the movie is and that whole ritual i mean that is insane and i love the music during that scene it's a really pretty good song that they're rocking out to during that large uh gathering of all those witches with uh, summoning that fertility goddess you're obviously building up to a moment you know with the hour and a half that's come before that final sequence how are you going to top it but bring out the big bitch (laughs) the cruel mother you know with this rope head and pendulous overflowing breasts and that see-through anus for some reason you you can you can see the child go right the way through her elementary canal it's a scene topper it's a it's a film it, it's the money shot, I think, out of Witching and Bitching. I can't think of a, a, a film other than King Kong versus Godzilla where I've gone, whoa, that was, that was cool. I think we all rewatched the movie. What do you think of the special effects? Because, yeah. yeah. I was trying to think, okay, 2013 could have been better. 
I think it probably could have. Uh, but having just watched Spawn, I uh, am g- being very tolerant of a lot of bad special effects lately, just because those were so terrible. I don't have a problem with bad effects. I mean, I, I grew up in the 70s um, watching eighth, eighth generation Betamax bootlegs of the most terrible films known to mankind. So, I mean, I, I was grilled by a 35-year-old Gen Y the other day you know, about the um, appalling effects in David Cronenberg's The Fly. I said, what are you talking about? They were great. <laughs> what? Said, They're puppets. I said, that's the whole point. My brain is wired differently to yours. You know, I can I can look at a puppet and go, well, that actually exists in real life. And uh, they go, what a, what a, you know, I, I can pretty much see the wires. I'm like, God damn it. I, I, Definitely can't criticize the uh, appearance of the cruel mother. But I do find incredibly cool the um, walking across the ceiling and um, mm. Torella Pavez scuttling across the ceiling, which reminded <laughs> me of that scene in Exorcist 3, right? Where <laughs> old mental patient, you know, does this. You know this scuttlebutt across the ceiling of the um, of the insane ward, and uh, I was getting flashbacks like that watching the the ceiling stuff. I thought the those kind of practical effects were really well integrated. Yeah, I did like the party preparation when she's just walking along the ceiling, and they've. I mean, I could see you know how they could do that effect fairly easily, but it was. I thought that was effective. And there were moments with the mother goddess that I was like, okay, this works. But then I think especially when she was moving around, that's when it got a little iffy for me when she comes in and when she leaves and when she goes on her little rampage. And I was very surprised that uh, some of the witches that got stomped on ended up coming back in the very final scene. Talking about that part of the movie, I think in this case, cinematography is amazing because, you know, the the long uh, suits as they do in the travelings from the crossed, you know, the crossed people to the mother. Uh, it's like a Baroque picture. I don't know if you're familiar with European Baroque or witching pictures. Uh, like, oh, for example, Goya's dark paintings. It's exactly the same colours, the same place, all the elements. I thought it was almost. And I think that part, is amazing, you know. So the, the people like it's, you know, water. The cross guys, the mother at the end. That and the that dunce caps. Seems, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I just love that. There was some very nice composition in there, and I was very curious when they get into that cave area, and I was just like, is that a giant chair is that a giant table i couldn't tell if it was like a weird perspective thing and then when the mother goddess comes in i'm like oh okay yeah this makes sense she's gonna sit down and and tuck into a nice table hence the novelty oversized cutlery which she doesn't really use she's much more just grab them and swallow them whole which is good for all of our male characters that go through the elementary canal yeah yeah much more feral i think she well she could afford to be there's a lot of talk about the sun being this chosen one, and 
really, we don't get a whole lot more about that other than he seems to be able to do some great magic in the very final scene where he uh, puts those metal plates through the little girl. And when she comes out and she's got all the blood all over her. <laughs> and he shows the audience the bleeding torso. That was uh, I love just how outrageous these films are, just how brutal, how colorful, how wild they get. And like I said, this movie starts with that. To me, it gets balls out right at the beginning. And then there are moments where I'm like, okay, it's about to get back to that level. And sometimes it achieves it. And other times I'm just like, okay, yeah, I wish you would have gone farther. Even with the very end scene, I was like, okay, I think this could have gone a little bit farther than what you've done. Even to see the kid pass through the mother goddess's anus and then her swallowing the skinny guy and uh, him getting caught up in there. I think I must be a lot more forgiving than you because I just enjoyed the ride. Speaking of trying to top that uh, initial 10-minute sequence, I don't think you really can. Uh, all you can do is change gears. You know, as I mentioned before that uh, Alex himself calls these films, you know, his mean and his dumb films. I call them his punk rock films. Achion Mutante, Dia della Bestia, and this one, these are very punk rock. You know, they're... they're loud, vulgar, stupid, and basically a fuck you to um, <laughs> critics, <laughs> you know, to to the uh, genteel tastes of the bourgeoisie that he's clearly trying to offend. And uh, I, I love that punk rock spirit, but I also love uh, the intent behind films like The Last Circus where he's using humour as a very sharp weapon you know, right into the, he's reopening the scars of Spain. You can see, you know, in, in the process of making that film. So as much as I love witching and bitching, I do actually prefer his more serious films, the serious slash bleakly funny films rather than the balls out, you know, uh, throw everything at the wall kind of films. But, uh, but having said that, you know, as far as stupid punk rock films go, this is, pretty damn stupid and, and wonderful. <laughs> I'm uh, in love with The Day of the Beast, but because I think that's the first Alice de la Iglesia I saw, also it has a meaning related to my adolescence, so, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, for example, one of my favorites is Muertos de Risa, you know, the one about the comedy duo. And also I love uh, Crimen Perfecto. Because it's the kind of humor we have here and the one I, I enjoy. That's one of his best comedies, I think. Like straight comedies. For example, the one that's the La Chispa de la Vida, I didn't like it at all. Too mainstream. I didn't think it I was think funny. It, no, not even funny. And I think any director could have done that. We, we didn't need Alex de la Iglesia for, for that one. Well, same as Perfectos Desconocidos. That could have been made by anyone, and in fact, it was made by someone else initially. Before. <laughs> I, I honestly can't see, I couldn't see the point of remaking a film almost frame by frame. No, I, I, I didn't like that one. And and also the TV show that's called Plutomber Venero, that was bullshit. It, did, it wasn't funny at all. It didn't have any kind of... Offset. Okay, no, it's not Pluton. Pluton is the is the you know the planet, but that is not now is not a planet. But in Spanish, to be a hookah or a beach or it's called 
puta, okay? When you say putón, is a big whore. <laughs> we have a expression that is putón verbenero. Verbena is a kind of party, okay? When we have, uh, you know, uh, you shoot and you get gifts and those kind of parties with, you know, the sugar cane or the apples with with sugar, those kind of things. So, but the expression is putón verbenero, putón verbenero is a woman who enjoys having sex with everybody. So the name of the TV show is a kind of joke in, in Spanish. <laughs> so you didn't like that one? No, 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 it's awful. And also 30 coins. <laughs> so, so. But my, my favorite... Like of, not so much. <laughs> but my favorite is the Day of the Beast. Uh, because also I, I live in Madrid. And when I visit the city center, I always think of the movie. That's his metal film. <laughs> What's your favorite Alex de la Iglesias movie, Mike? Oh, it has to be De La, de la Bestia. I just, I love that one so much. And I think it's one of those, it was my first, but it just, I'm rewatching it again the other day. I'm like, ah, I want to sing from the rooftops how much I love that movie. Good, good, good. It's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the first time I saw it was like a really shitty VHS. And so when I watched it again the other day, it was Blu-ray. And I was like, oh, wow, this movie looks fantastic. I always thought that it just was kind of junky. But then watching it again, I was like, oh, okay, this looks really nice. Like, do you have the edition with the documentary on it? I don't think I do, no. Yeah, I bought Witching and Bitching, which was supposed to have all these extras, and all the extras were just basically fluff pieces. It was like, yeah, we're going to do this great thing. It was basically like five-minute segments that they would have shown someplace to, I don't know, just convince people that this movie is worth checking out. And I'm like, Electronic okay. Crescent, probably. Yeah, it's like, right. I've already bought the movie. I don't really need these, and you're not really telling me anything that I don't know already. Most of the clips and everything that they were doing were yeah just little talking head bits and clips from the movies very few uh behind the scenes things i'm like okay thanks for wasting my time so no one could be asked going back and making a documentary about a 26 year old film what a bum all right guys let's go ahead and take a break and we're going to play a preview for next week's show right after these brief messages Sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate and they just have too many levers and buttons? There's got to be a better way. Now there is with Good Job Brain, an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun. I just learned that artificial vanilla flavoring sometimes comes from the anal glands of a beaver and now I can never shake that mental image. Thanks, Good Job Brain. Good Job Brain is available for the low price of just four easy payments of free. It's a podcast. Good Job Brain is part of Airwave Media and available on all podcast apps. Operators are standing by. In 1985, a curious phenomenon occurred. The Twilight Zone returned to television, featuring all new tales of mystery and imagination from the minds of Ray Bradbury, Harlan Ellison, George R.R. Martin, and Stephen King. Dreams for Sale, the Twilight Zone 85 podcast looks back at that land of shadow and substance and re-examines the groundbreaking successor to Rod Serling's legacy. Featuring new interviews with the show's creators and cast, Dreams for Sale can be found on iTunes and at TwilightZone85.com. Dreams for Sale. 
We'll be waiting for you in the Twilight Zone. Who is Carl Kolchak? He's a reporter. Now that is news, Vincenzo. News! And we are a news paper. We are supposed to print news, not suppress it. With the INS. What's an INS? Independent news servicer founded in 1904 by Enrico Peluzzi. Who seems to have a nose for the strange and unusual. Well, last year in Las Vegas, I uncovered a series of murders that turned out to have been committed by a vampire. And what is the Kolchak Tapes? It's a podcast. All about Carl Kolchak. What's a Kolchak? The Night Stalker. And where can you get it? On iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.kolchaktapes.com. As foolish a game as any that Gordy the Ghoul could make up. Have a hunger for horror? A yen for Yelp yarns? Then give your blood-curdled bones a boon and tune in to Chronicles from the Crypt. Join sordid slime-slingers Casualty Chris and Father Malone as they take on HBO's groundbreaking television series, Tales from the Crypt. Here's what the rotting and rancid rabble are saying about Chronicles from the Crypt. <laughs> tune in to Chronicles from the Crypt. You have nothing to lose except your life. When was the last time you were afraid? Really afraid? 20th Century Fox presents The Mephisto Waltz The Sound of Terror Who are the beautiful people of the occult? What is the incredible secret of the black dog called Robin? What terrifying rituals do they perform by the light of a black candle? Brace yourself for the ultimate transplant the human soul. Brace yourself for the Mephisto Waltz. Starring Alan Alda, Jacqueline Bissett, Barbara Parkins, and Kurt Jurgens. The Mephisto Waltz. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Brace yourself for the sound of terror. It comes every time you hear the Mephisto Waltz. That's right, we'll be back next week with a look at the Mephisto Waltz. Until then, I want to thank this week's co-hosts, Elena and Andrew. So, Andrew, what is happening in your world, sir? Since I was on your show last time, I've still been working on the same documentaries. I've still been working on the same books. But I can't leave Queensland. I can't leave my home state to go to work anywhere. So I've been selling movies and making my own T-shirts on TrashVideoArchives.com. I basically restarted my old video shop as an online store, and I'm making some cool-looking shirts. So check it out, trashvideoarchives.com. And Elena, what's been keeping you busy? I'm working on my website. It's SpanishFear.com. That's about the Spanish horror, and it's in English, of course. In the past, I got the Horror Rises from Spain podcast that was in English, but nowadays in Spanish. But you can check the old shows because they are on the, on the site. If you are interested, I'm working on um, basically on the site on YouTube uh, because sometimes I revise or review movies in English or some interesting merchandise or books related to Spanish horror with the Patreon for the website, trying to get the money to pay the domain and to pay some writers that we are starting to have on the on the site. You know, Spanish horror, Fanta Terror. You cannot see, but I have my Paul Nassi cushion. <laughs> oh, 
I didn't nice. notice that before. Oh my god, that's genius! So, who are your favorite Spanish horror filmmakers? I love uh, one of my favorites, Eugenio Martin, the one, the candle for the one candle for the devil. Horror Express. I grew up with that film. Yeah, I that's one of my Trans Siberian Express. Yeah, and the and the second is Chichi Baño Cerrador, the one behind Who Can Kill a Child. And nowadays, I really love uh, Paco Plaza. For example, it's one of my favorites. You know, for Veronica and and Drake also. Well, thank you so much, folks, for being on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, especially to our Patreon community. If you want to join the community, visit patreon.com slash projection booth. Every donation we get helps the projection booth take over the world. <laughs> <laughs>